tune in, tone up. Your one-stop shop for guitar tricks, tips, techniques and advice. With me, Gary Shilliday, and my own excellent teacher, Dan Davis. In Guitar Lesson 34, Dan and I continue our study of rhythmic playing with a focus on the style of Eddie Van Halen. A true monster of the guitar, Dan has studied closely over the years and he's eager to share his knowledge. Dan introduces a rock lick and looking particularly at the technique of muting slowly builds complexity into it. With some final thoughts on the trem bar and piano technique, there is so much in this lesson. With all the rhythm podcasts, there's been so much positive feedback on those. I'd like to take that a little bit further myself as well. And also it's something I want to keep working on myself. And I'm looking for some challenging rhythms that will move me away from some of the more kind of square ideas, maybe some displacement, things like that. Okay. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. They have proved to be very popular. I can only assume why there's an awful lot of stuff on YouTube... It's just a topic that maybe people don't think that people need or they don't think it's going to draw people in like the Glory Boy solo stuff. Maybe that's the case. I don't know. I mean, there's lots of people teaching songs out there on YouTube, but the actual sort of technique of playing rhythm seems to be a bit of a, a bit of a black art for some. And it's all too tempting just to kind of hit the power chords and be done with it. Yeah. Yeah, without maybe getting too creative. So who do you rate as some really, maybe let's pick a top three for each of us, like rhythm players that you think, yeah, that's pretty cool playing. I like that. I want some of that. Niall Rogers, but you switched me on to him, so you'll probably say the same. (laughs) Yeah, I (laughs) mean, Niall Rogers is great. Um, I guess we're going to tap into mostly the rock stuff in this thing. But yeah, I mean, Niall, Niall Rogers, from the point of view of locking in, it's funny, so many rock guitar players ignore the funk thing because there's not many notes going on. But I'm telling you now, it's like being a bass player where you've got to sit there and it's a different discipline. You've got to be bang on the money. Yeah. Drifting out of time is not an option. Not playing with a groove is not an option. Cocking it up and almost not playing it like you're almost like a machine playing it over and over again at the same time, again, is not an option. Those are quite difficult techniques to grasp because as precise as a lot of rock stuff is, often there are times when you can let a chord ring or be a little more loose with your rhythm. You can't do that in funk. You are the engine of the band along with the bass player and the drummer. You're the rhythm machine. And the vocals and keys and everything else are just going to sit nicely on top of that. So Niall Rogers, who else Who else do you think? Well, a, a ridiculous force of nature... Tommy Emmanuel, you know, he's a drummer, he's amazing. He's a fantastic rhythm acoustic player. Yeah, I mean, again, we're probably looking at electric things, but we could certainly look at acoustic at some point. That's something we haven't tapped into too much. I mean, he is an amazing player, and of course, when you're an acoustic player, 
you don't always have the drama of maybe gain and all that sort of thing going on. So, you know, you have to make the instrument sound pretty. You have to make it sound really, really good. Using interesting chords is an obvious way to do that. You know, you've yeah. only got to look at, look at one, one piece that, that always blows my mind is his live rendition of Amazing Grace. And it's yeah. like, if, if Amazing, ever you, it? it's just incredible. And if you, you ever want to see Tommy Emmanuel at his best playing amazing chord stuff, amazing single note stuff and everything in between, that just showcases everything you need to know to know that he's one hell of a monster giant player. Three. My number three, I'm going to say Van Halen. Van Hooligan. Van Halen. Absolutely. But I know that that would be one of yours as well. Ah, uh, ready, Eddie, go. Yeah, Eddie, Eddie Van Halen. He's yeah. a guitar player very close to my heart. When I was 15, he, along with a couple of other guitar players, was seminal in turning my guitar world on its head. When you listen to most stuff, you know, yeah, that's cool. That's, you know, that's a good record, man. There's other ones. Then you walk away from it and go, oh, what was that again? (laughs) But there's other records where you go, what the hell is that? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What is this CD that I hold in my hand? (laughs) Yeah. It's um, pure magic. (laughs) It's pure guitar magic, which I cannot access without the help of the teacher. I actually had a drummer friend called Ant who lent me the 5150 album. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my life. It's bluesy, but it's technical. It's exciting. The rhythm playing is just absolutely phenomenal. It's just... The riff work is... uh, Packed with guitar gems from beginning to to end. So, yeah, Eddie Eddie Van Halen, when I was a kid, you know, once I got into somebody, I had to have the whole... You know, I had to have the whole collection. And so I went right back to Van Halen 1. You know, yeah, Van one Halen one, a 1984 album with the baby, Smokey even with the angel wings on his back. That album was just constantly, constantly on my stereo, along with 5150, OU812, For Unlawful Coral Knowledge, and later on Balances. All brilliant, brilliant, brilliant records. Yeah. Amazing guitar playing. Eddie, we salute you. <laughs> you are a guitar you are great. A force to behold and a wonder of That's this right. universe. And uh, <laughs> maybe when we talk about him later, I will explain a few things that are, are maybe a little bit unique to him and possibly the reasons why he's quite unique. Yeah. So that's your three. That's your top three. I would say so, yeah. When it comes to Eddie Van Halen, I, I also feel I want to listen to him more heavily. I just realise how... I've really just become switched on to how good a rhythm player he is. And, and I mean, a lot of that, I think, is to do with the fact that they were essentially a four-piece band and the vocalist didn't play guitar until they got Sammy Hagar, who'd previously been in Montrose, and he did play a bit of guitar. The irony was that it was Eddie Van Halen's inability to play the drums that pushed him onto guitar. Right, okay. That's but nuts, isn't it? <laughs> it is, but I believe he was a little bit more schooled when it came to the keys. Yeah. And although we know him for his guitar stuff, 
Eddie Van Halen, even on not just the albums, but on the tours, played either all or the majority of the keyboard stuff from the 1984 album onwards. And like Jump, for example, which is quite keyboard-led, has some quite nasty arpeggio work on that. But you watch the live sort of thing of them of them doing it back in the day, and you know he was on keys for the majority yeah. of the song until it came to the solo. Wow, yeah, that's phenomenal, isn't it? Yeah, so a multi a multi instrumentalist. Yet with the guitar, he never really had formal schooling, and he even said himself in an interview, "I chase the sounds in my head." And that will tell you some of what you need to know about why he's so unpredictable yeah. in his playing and why it just, you know, it kind of flows the way it does. You know, he's obviously searching for a certain sound. He's not just bashing through patterns. Yes, yeah. I suppose that drove Malcolm Young's playing as well, didn't it? Just the the number of instruments to be such a good rhythm player as well. I'd say he was... Malcolm Young, yeah, I mean, really solid and behind. Yeah. I think a lot of a lot more AC/DC songs than we realise. Again, you know, people know Bon Scott. People think about Angus Young and Brian Johnson, but you know, Malcolm Young as well. You know, sort of drove the the riffs behind things too, and I believe wrote a lot of the big AC/DC songs and riffs and yeah. stuff. So Eddie Van Halen would definitely feature as one of my favourites. I think without a shadow of a doubt. When we talk about rhythm playing, God, it's hard putting your top three in there for any kind of guitar player. I think I would probably have to put Eric Johnson in there. And the reason being that he, he's he got a lovely style of using sort of pick and fingers so that you hear all of the notes in one hit. Yes, yeah. And also the way he plays lots of unusual inversions of chords so that they remain connected in similar areas of the neck rather than playing positions that are far apart again is a you know an interesting concept which i've used a few times myself so you can look at the notes in one area of the neck and get the majority of the chords within a scale yeah within sort of three or four frets but people tend to use all of the different positions that they know from the point of view of like well i know i know it in this place on the neck in this shape yeah oh my third choice this is a tricky one, isn't it? The third choice for rhythm playing. I suppose like with Eric Johnson as well, he's got like that dynamics, a lot, a lot of soft and like you say, pick and fingers. A lot yeah. Hard and then soft, and that gives a real kind of drummery feel to it, doesn't it, in some ways, I suppose. That's right. I mean, it's particularly yeah. his clean rhythm playing that I like. One guy, I know it's a bit of a maybe slightly strange choice, but there is good reason why, Jimi Hendrix. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. Now, I know we looked at him just a couple of weeks ago, so I'm sure we won't dwell on that one there. You know when someone's kind of got something good going on. Yeah. When a style in itself is named after them. You know, when we say, oh, we play those double stops in a Hendrixy style. You know, Everyone knows what you mean. Yeah, you know we're meaning this. Yeah. <laughs> something similar spot on yeah so you know you know you've arrived yeah but he also had a very funky kind of vibe you listen to the live version of killing floor he's playing a real funky rhythm yeah and all of these guys who are great at playing rhythm have one thing in common which we can all probably improve and all learn from can you think what that might be internal well the internal pulse and 
that's I think for any good musician hey, is, yeah. a, is a given. I'm talking about a specific area Listening. of technique. Again, a given for any musician, yeah. but a specific area of technique which is essential to rhythm playing. It's essential to all playing, but especially for getting the light and shade in your rhythm, for getting the right level of dynamics dynamics and heaviness, if you want it heavy or light, if you want it light. It's a particular technique. Muting. Muting is so, so important. Because if you don't mute strings, when you're using a big high-gain sound, yeah, it's just going to be got a there. bum fire. Oh. <laughs> but it's also the one area of guitar playing. I know we use it in lead as well. I know we use it in funk a lot too. But if you're playing a rock, a rock yeah. rhythm, the muting has become synonymous with the style. I like percussive sounds and everything. It's got it's everything, isn't it? It's well, yeah. So like, like you, out unwanted noise. And- whether you're doing the sort of metallicy metal thing. <laughs> the chunk in the bottom or or if you're you know doing a riff and you want to open it up you know yes it's actually yeah. letting the muting off yeah so it's a central yeah. skill and essential skill so when you're Jimi hendrix look at his grip on the exactly the thumb, chords, thumb over the, the thumb top over the top and yeah, so if you're trying to damping, do those hendrixy funky things you've got to be muting the lower strings and you've got to be also using your left hand your fretting hand to mute by gently not entirely lifting off but just raising off the strings so there's a muted sound rather than a sound sound bit you know like the funk thing and even if you're doing like the double stop you're to mute maybe the strings in, in between the middle, a couple yeah. of strings you want if you're playing at the, at the top you have to just mute the lower string I suppose if you have a like a drummer that's like really good and you're watching a really really good drummer play you know they don't just hit the snare they've also got like other techniques where they hit the snare and then immediately dampen it and stuff to create a short sound and yeah I mean some of the old jazz the drum, drummers used to sort of hold drums you can see yeah. them holding the edge of the drums and gradually letting it go and it getting louder and louder. Yeah. And you've got things like the rim shot where you're yeah. cracking the stick against the side of the drum and just before it hits the actual skin, creating a real shark kind of sound. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, that's sort of the dynamics thing for drummers. So I think we should look at maybe a bit of Van Halen. That's would be my uh, dream. Cut and loose. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I think we should look at some Van Halen. We're not going to look at a specific song, maybe. We're going to look at the style and the things that Mr. Halen... <laughs> <laughs> we Mr. salute Van you, Halen. sir. Uh, we hope you're oh, listening as well. It's about to rock. <laughs> We've got a lot of listeners in America. Is he one of them? <laughs> <laughs> If he is, he's not been in touch yet. So, if you're listening, Eddie, I I really like the stripey guitars; they're really cool. Anyway, <laughs> brilliant. So, what we're going to do? We're going to do maybe a basic sort of rhythm, 
and we're going to use some, some typical sort of techniques you use in rock. We're going to play off one string. So we're going to use one string, our A string. And we're going to play some different chords off that A string. So A string's going to be like our root note churning away. Yeah. And we're going to have like an A power chord. second fret of the D and the G strings and then we're going to have the fifth fret of the same two strings and then the seventh and seven like a D and then we're going to Van Halenize this at the end <laughs> So we've got 7 and 7 and 5 on the D, G and B. Giving us like an A sus 4. Going to, to an A shape. Yep. So it's like an, an F shape, but it's giving us A, 7, 6 and 5 on the D, G and B. And then an A power chord on the 7th of the D and the 9th of the G. Okay, so not doing anything special with it. It's going to sound like this. Right, let me just take a moment to... Do you, do you want that. me to get some spandex for you? <laughs> Caroline? <laughs> and a wig in Hayway. It's like my stag do all yeah. over again. Um, oh dear. You weren't tied naked to a, a lamppost with a pot of honey on the floor, eh? Who knows? <laughs> Maybe. Um, more than likely. There was pink spandex involved. Latex gloves? Well, pretend spandex. <laughs> Latex gloves, they were there too. Right, here, here we go. So that was... No. Like that. So the rhythm's slightly different, although you're on the right track. Simple rock rhythm. Yeah. Ferocious tones. Can I play that? Should I be a bit more on the tone? Is that? I've maxed my tone out. Yeah, that's a good uh, plan. On on his early guitars, Eddie Van Halen disengaged his tone control, which gave you a bit more top end and a little bit more, not just bite, but right. volume. 
Okay. So and then and then max the volume possibly. Give it a whirl. <laughs> Miss that slightly there. Okay. So to bring a bit of spice to our rhythm, it's an alright rhythm. There's yep. nothing wrong with it. It works. But now we're gonna double up on some of our bass notes. Yep. Now it's a small thing. It's not quite like some of the metal where you've got the kind of almost like the diddle-dit, diddle-dit, kind of triplet kind of flick. Yeah. You know, some of the modern sort of metal stuff. More like doing a double or a did it. Right, okay, yeah, yeah. that's uh, immediately gone from lower intermediate to advanced, hasn't it? Um, so give it, a, give it a whirl in your own time. That's the idea. So at the end, what I've done, I've changed the rhythm slightly yeah. at the end. So I've done three, and I've played the last chord on the offbeat with an upstroke. Okay, okay, I can get that over time, listening back. And okay. So the next thing is the muted thing. Now, what might be the reasons for using sort of muting on... I mean, I realise we're muting the low string here, the A string, yeah. one of the lower strings. But we're going to try muting the high strings. Now, what might be, say, the rationale of someone like Eddie Van Halen or a similar style player to sort of mute some of the strings? Where could it come in handy? Well, for for the tone, not palm muting type thing. If you're going for the big chuggy thing, certainly there's the tone and there's the sound of muted stuff has its own kind of thing. Yeah, Yeah. its own thing going on. But I'm thinking as well, in a three-piece band, well, I realise Van Halen's four, but the singer's singing, not playing guitar. Yeah. So in a a band where there's three three instrumentalists plus a vocalist, you've got to bring the light and shade. Because the drums are going, the mm. bass is going, they're the engine of the band and they're going to be doing what they're doing. The vocalist is telling the story, whatever it may be. Yeah. Yep. So when you get to the chorus, yes, you can bring in backing vocals and you'll want to. Yep. But if the guitar drops down a little bit... It allows the singer to sing. It allows yeah. the singer to sing and the verse to be a more manageable kind yeah. of... So there's some dynamics... Exactly. You can hear you can hear the story, um, and and everything gels together well. 
Yeah. So you might get this kind of thing. Like, say the song started, we're at full chattel, and then we bring it down. Okay, so we've gone from sort of loud yep, and then muted. And I haven't engaged to the volume control by rolling it back at all. I kept it in the same place on purpose. So you're also playing individual strings as well, aren't you, I guess? Right. Muting them. That's it. So... got a bit of melody on the end so I'm using the same chords but when we start that A sus chord I'm not touching the B string at all and then playing the A on the second fret at the end oh, so well, the that, that was seven, and 7 on the G 7 on the D 6 on the G 7 on the D yep. 9 on the G 7 on the D yep. and then 2nd fret of the G Yeah. Okay. So, obviously, however your song goes, that's going to make an impact on the chords, yeah, the melody, what you want to highlight, what you don't want to highlight, and all the rest of it. But you notice how even without touching the volume control, even without reducing the levels of gain, it's seriously brought down the bigness of the sound. Yes. Unlike the sort of unleashed factor. Yep. If I then go one step further, so I'm going to start, reasonably loud yeah but then i'm gonna go and bring my volume down and bring the muting down and you'll really hopefully see a difference sound (laughs) okay so bringing that volume down as well it's like a double whammy we've gone from being quite loud to being a whole bunch quieter yeah and skinnying down that guitar sound it's funny as guitarists you wouldn't normally go into a music shop and have someone go oh you gotta love the sound of this this guitar guy's so thin 
Yeah, yeah. So yeah. weedy. Yeah. Oh, got such a low output. Oh, <laughs> such a skinny set. Oh, you love it. Try it. You know, <laughs> that never happens, does it? No. People always talk about, oh, that guitar sounds so fat. It sounds so rich. It's in it. And you need this combination, obviously, of harmonic content and what the guitar's made of and all the different factors we talked about before. But when in the real world, when you're playing, like, you know, in a band, yes, sometimes the guitar needs to be big. And yeah. a guitar's ability to have a big enough sound to carry itself in a band when the loud moments are required or when there needs to be weight behind the notes is absolutely important. And probably one of the, the nicer sounds to sort of work with, you know, feeling that the guitar is a little bit unleashed and unhinged. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's nice. But at the same time, when you're playing a track, it's about how it kind of slots into that track and what sonic space it takes up. Yeah. So if you think of it, I always think of a mix like a room. Like, look at this room that we're in. There is so much stuff. Yeah. Right? But the stuff is all different sizes. So, say for example, I'd taken the side off my house and I'd parked a car in this room. There's not going to be room for any other large objects, are there? Yeah, because you that's know, so big. It it's humongous, room, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Say I put two king-size beds in here. They're smaller than a car, but I can't really get much more than the two king-size beds. Yeah. Right? So as yeah, the I'm items totally get you, yeah. smaller, you can fit more in. Yeah. Now, when we're thinking of a mix, and this is probably more appropriate when you're talking about a, maybe a bigger band, but there are still times when you, you can overcook it. Because if, if your rhythm sound is massive, especially if you're playing only with a bass player, what happens when you hit your lead sound? Yeah. You know, you don't want to tread on the bass player's feet and be too damn loud. You need him. He's going to carry you through. But at the same time, you don't want your rhythm guitar to sound really big and massive, and then your lead, your lead sound be thin and weedy. Yeah. And so with a mix, when you're, you know, and you'll, you'll especially notice this if you, if you record stuff, the bigger the sounds you use, realistically, the less of them you can get in there. You know, so everything's got to fit into its own little sonic space, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. really does, doesn't it? It's yeah, an I, I was, yeah. I would say so. People don't always think of this in the live situation, though. You know, maybe even intermediate guitarists who are gaining knowledge and getting better. Maybe their sort of lack of, in, uh, you know, their inexperience, their lack of experience with live work might lead them into, you know, like, well, you know, I really like that amp and I really like that guitar, and that's yeah. what I'm going to use. Whereas when you do it professionally for work, you go, what do I need to complete this job? How do I set my amp up so it works with everybody? I'll give you a real world example. I play with a guy called Alex, phenomenally good musician and guitar player. And he's doing a pop project right now. Yeah. So he went and had a rehearsal for this pop project where he's sort of, he's writing some of the songs and got a band together. And he started off using the Cornford amps that we both played, which is Cornford MK50 Mark II and the 2x12 cabinet. And he was using the guitar I'm using right now, which is a Sir Guthrie Govan signature. Massive sound, humongous sound. 
you know, plenty of bottom end, crunchy mid range, top that will slice through any mix. But it was, he said it's just too big. It sounds too much. It's over the top, you know, even peeling back the gain and everything. The sound itself is just, it's too large. Yeah. And in the end, he bought for that and as a spare and stuff, he bought the little Marshall that I've got, the JVM2 1x12 combo. Because it gives you a great rock sound, it gives you some really, really good sort of lower gain sounds. But at the same time... You can peel it back a bit. You can peel it back. You know, naturally being a 1x12, it's not going to have the same surfeit of bass as something like a 2x12. Yeah. As bass, which actually, when you're doing a pop project, is probably more what you need. In fact, I said to him, you know, borrow a strap, borrow a telly, borrow my Marshall see how you get on, because probably one of those or one of those in combination with the other will be what you're looking for. So sometimes our guitars sounding absolutely huge is an ideal thing for us. And some other times, even within the same song, it's the diametric opposite of what we really need. Yeah. So use that volume control and mute stuff out. That's it. Muting kind of, I always think, and I think I've probably said this before, but I'm going to say it again. When I think of volume levels within a song and how a song needs to maybe build up to a chorus and the chorus be usually traditionally the loud, familiar bit, and there are some songs that buck that trend, you know, we need to build steps into a song. And that also, from our guitar point of view, means we've got to build steps into our sound. Yeah. So that we can take it from maybe almost clean or clean right through to a kind of a, a really beefy sound and everywhere in between. And sometimes when you're playing a, a full-on rock track, clean is just, it just doesn't cut it. You need a bit of gain in there somewhere. But we also want something that isn't going to be like an unstoppable freight train running away from us. And so rolling back the volume, as I've said before, is a very good way. Muting kind of is yet another layer of peeling it back. The degrees of muting, you know, I can mute something like this, and then I can ease it off just by bringing my hand from where I am right now, which is just past where the strings join the body on the bridge saddles. Gonna be a combination of just me easing off a little bit and moving back towards the opposite end of the guitar to the neck. anything else yeah yeah that's all i've done that's good and if you want it really muted you can move further towards the headstock and what you can do i've only got my volume ticking over there say i put myself into extreme crunchy mode i'm going to do a similar thing but now when I let it out, it's going to really let out. And also I'm going to pick a little bit lighter. Yeah. So we're going to discuss in a second. Thank you. 
I didn't touch my volume knob. Yeah. I just left it on about four, which is enough for some pretty crunchy action. And it's about having the sensitivity with it. Yeah. So let's do a little exercise because this will be good for the folks at home if they haven't explored this kind of Yeah, that's great. Before. Yeah. And all I want you to do is. Fitting with our last lesson as well, we were playing, we were playing around with the pick being held lightly and mm. heavily and digging in and. There was once, a bit with that. there was once many moons ago. You'll probably find like a, a proper crap copy on YouTube. <laughs> I think it was either Horizon or Equinox. Remember that program back in the eighties? Oh yeah, Horizon. Yeah, yeah. I think, and they did a guitar, electric guitar special, and it had some really, you know, kind of renowned players like Andy Summers was on there. They talked about the history of the electric guitar and. And all that sort of thing. And one thing Andy Summers said, which always stuck in my mind, it hasn't gone since, was he said, you know, when you hear players, you know, they're playing with plenty of gain, they're playing with plenty of overdrive, you know, the guitar's pretty raging. It sounds kind of like it's sort of out of control almost, but not quite. They kind of reined it in. He said, as much as a paradox as it may sound, it actually takes a hell of a lot of sensitivity to play that way. Yeah. Not the opposite. It's your job as a player to rein it in. In a way, it's a little bit like when you get the stuntmen who have the fight scene and they manage to do it without hurting anybody. It takes more skill, probably, than to actually kind of like end up sticking the sword through the ball guy's head. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, (laughs) because you've got an added layer of complication. And the same it is with the guitar playing. It sounds unbridled. It sounds like it's raging. And that's half of the fun of the guitar and the appeal, I think, of rock music and the electric guitar is it's like wrestling that beast and getting it under control. Bringing it back from the brink. Exactly. Yeah. And even Steve Vai himself said, you know, rock guitar playing is about making the guitar sound like it's absolutely on the verge of being out of control. It's just on the edge, like right on the cusp. But you've got it perfectly in control. You know yeah. exactly what you're doing, but it sounds like you're taming your wild stallion. <laughs> well, I suppose if you use the horse idea, yeah. it totally is. Because if you use the horse idea and you watch someone riding around on a horse... Well, so, seeing as we've got the Van Halen analogy and spandex pants, wild stallions kind of... <laughs> but yeah, you, you, you if you see theme. someone that's got a, a wild horse that seems like it's almost out of control, but they're still in control of it, that's way more impressive than one that's... Been beaten into submission. Exactly. Absolutely. So the next thing we're going to look at is fills. Yeah. So Eddie Van Halen's quite well known for putting in fills and not overdubbing them. Right. Okay. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of times he has overdubbed them, but there are many guitar players out there. Randy Rhodes was another one. You know, Gary Moore, where they would play a rhythm and then put in a cheeky fill. Yeah. So we're going to look at playing in a... Can playing... you think of any really good examples with, with uh, Van Halen? Particular tunes or anything? Hot for Teachers probably got them in there. Yeah. 
think, dream, another I think dream. it's part of the song, but he, he does kind of two big E chords, I think they are. Yeah. A little riff thing. And then just goes straight for like this sort of tapping feel. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's just there. I'll try and find that. And it's a little less off the cuff than what I'm thinking of. But, you know, a feel can be anything from sort of putting in a little riff, a little bit of lead or something. Yeah, okay. So here we go. I'm going to do the same sort of rhythm figure again. And I'm going to put in some feels. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> so I've come up right, with this. <laughs> what folks at home, I don't think I understand how off the cuff this is. Yeah. I'm not going to tell no, them. Yeah, do we, we should explain. We, should, this we should explain because it probably sounds like two boys having a jolly, doesn't it? Yeah. It's close. Well, I hope so, yeah. <laughs> uh, but basically, we, Gary emailed me this afternoon. I think we should do some rhythm. Great. <laughs> Teaching at the moment. See you at seven. Let's do some Van Halen rhythm. I don't have a chance to write anything or anything like that. It's all very much off the cuff. So uh, when I play things like that, then I have to fit the fields in. I'm just coming up with what's on the top of my head. Yeah, and that's enough. It's enough to carry the podcast and get quite a lot of comments back. So thanks to all those people. Seems to work, yeah. Yeah. So as we're in sort of Van Halen mode, I mean, there's a few things we can add in. I quite like it if I'm playing in that sort of bluesy kind of A vibe to add a few pull-offs around this area. So I've got the G, DNA strings, yep. and I'm concentrating really on the second and the fourth frets of each. And I'm basically doing second, second, fourth, second, open on the G. And while I'm there, I'm... Yep. Catching a bit of a harmonic. So the harmonics on the second. Your harmonic seems to bring out a bit more volume. We're doing the same on the other two strings minus the harmonic. I'll do it slowly. Yeah. I actually nicked it. Sorry, Randy Rhodes. I nicked it from Crazy Train. Ah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. There's a very similar sort of one in there. Cool. There's a a kind of variation on a theme where if you uh, bend from the four to the six on the G and then go down four to open on the other. 
do harmonics. Yeah. Those two are quite sort of handy yeah. ones for the key of A, yeah. <laughs> so it's an A, and then we got, which is on the seven, six, and five, and the G, uh, the D, G, and B. And then six, four, and five on the same string, which is an E. And then same one, four, two, three. D. There. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, you get he, the idea. You should have got a mention earlier, really, shouldn't you, Randy Rose? Randy Rose should have, So many guitarists, isn't there? Richie Blackmore's another riff meister. Yeah. Tony Iommi. Jimmy Page. We could just go on for the rest of the podcast, can we? we just no, 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 no. I listened to their podcast recently. I listened to the Tinchin podcast and it was just a list of names. List I don't of... recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> so let's have a go at that. So uh... And they're called Tinchin and that sounds like an insult. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a Tinchin too. <laughs> Okay. More in time, please, Gary. Absolutely. Now, although I was putting in some tapping stuff, and I'll show you some of that, because some of it's easier than others. Okay. Don't worry too much. (laughs) Eddie Van Halen was quite renowned for doing things in shapes. Right, okay. I think, again, in, earlier in his career in particular, he's chasing the sounds in his head. Yeah. And although he was always held up to be this, oh, you're a really technical player, and yeah, he's certainly got some pace on him, and he certainly makes some very exciting listening, he was doing quite straight things with the shapes. Yeah. He was going for a sound. Yeah. You know, so in some respects he was sort of dodging around, you know, some of the some of the tougher stuff in terms of sort of position shifts and things that you get within scales. But, you know, at the end of the day, who am I to argue with Eddie, Eddie Van Halen's sound? So yeah. like it's hot for teacher, everything's very symmetrical. Okay. So hot for teacher. Yeah, it's the same shape moved around a full fresh stretch, you know. Yeah, it's 
it's all four frets and it's all the same four frets, isn't it? Well, sort of three and seven, five and seven. Yeah. And even the riff at the end is five, seven and eight and tap on the 12. So 12, eight, seven, five. All the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's hot for teacher. So it's on the A to start with. Oh, the A string. So you start with the tap. Ah, right. So you start with an open string. Is it twice and on I each think thing? it's kind of. Same pattern everywhere, so it's yeah, it's open three tap, tap on the 12, then pull off to the seven, pull off to the three, yeah, open three tap, tap, yeah, pull off. this is very symmetrical, yeah, very symmetrical, So yeah. Same pattern all the way. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds very weird, but Eddie Van Halen was going for the con. Yeah, it does. (laughs) Eddie Van Halen was going for the contour of the lick. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? The contour of of the sound rather than like the definite right notes and it, so- it sounds different at speed as well of course so it's just 12 8 7 5 yeah it's pretty good practice it sounds totally different for quick doesn't it That's yeah the thing. but even if you wanted to get some of that in for a fill just looking at say the top three strings yeah gives you the Dorian mode with the blues note And at the end, maybe after that, tap the 12th fret of the G and then bend behind it to raise it up to a high A. Yeah.
but okay. rely on the finger behind bending the note rather than the tap hands. Oh, I see, I see, yeah, okay. You get a much nicer vibrato. So for the folks at home, this is where we finish a phrase, then we yeah. tap a note and we bend behind it where we'd normally bend using our left hand, leaving the tapped note, the finger on the tapped note, yeah. so that it raises and vibratos along with what the other hand is doing. So... Cool. Simple. That's great, yeah, yeah. So if you're trying to get that lot into the tune... Brilliant. Your pinch harmonics and all that kind of thing are all fair game. Brilliant. It might be worth saying to the folks out there as well, you know, if if ever there's anything we cover that you would like tabbed or anything like that, it's well worth getting in touch with us, isn't it? Yeah, and we, we can, can discuss it can be done. We can discuss price or whatever. Yeah. Yes, it can be done for a small a small but not exorbitant fee. Cool. <laughs> so I mean that's one way of sort of filling in. What about the trem bar? How right, do you feel okay. about some... I mean, Eddie Van Halen, we haven't mentioned the tremolo yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are we mental? Have we lost it? Are we playing well, it on a telecaster? What's going go on? on? Let's go for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just too much in his rhythm playing, isn't there? There's that's, a that's lot in is. his rhythm playing. There's a lot we haven't touched, but I'll, I want to, in a minute, summarise some things. So maybe if anyone's listening and taking notes, yeah. they can kind of write them on a piece of paper. So they've got essentially our last hour or so condensed. Yeah, okay. And so next time you're playing, sometimes it's just the thought of it. Yeah. How many times have you been teaching someone or I've been teaching a guitar player and they play a solo and you go, yeah, that's great, but you could have also done this or this. And Oh, yeah, I didn't think of it. Yeah, that's it. And sometimes even if I've been way back in the day when I did some recording in the early days, and my playing wasn't as well-rounded, maybe, I used to have sometimes a list of things as prompts, you know, so ideas, so that I could get into a solo. So maybe some licks that featured string bends, some legato stuff, you know, some bluesy phrases, or you know, and I'd have it sort of laid out there so that I didn't forget to use it once the tape was rolling and you're under pressure. So maybe we'll do a little summary in a minute. It's interesting because Musical You, the musicality podcast, which we also strongly, strongly recommend, they share our vision really in many <laughs> ways, and they're amazing. When they do their podcast, they do pretty much summarise it at the end each time. Right? Yeah. I like that. Why is grown on me? It's good. Grown on me like a bad smell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's a good. It's a good idea though, you know, because if you are taking the guitar seriously and and kind of like using some of these podcasts to further what you can do. It's good to be able to walk away maybe with a piece of paper with five headings on there as prompts. Yeah. And once people get to a certain level on the guitar, they can often do things, but maybe they're not at that stage where they involuntarily do them. Hmm. You know, I've had gigs where I've played, you know, for two hours and then thought, yeah, why didn't I do that? Oh, yeah. I haven't done that style or that that kind of lick for a while and why is that and it's just dropped off my radar yeah yeah it's not like i can't do it i just haven't thought to do it yeah there's definitely a message in there isn't yeah, there definitely yeah. i think it's easy so. to forget things indeed yeah. it's like an american film there's always always a moral of the story yeah yeah 
So let's spend the last couple of minutes before we summarise just maybe discussing the trem bar. Yeah, cool. Eddie Van Halen sets his trem bar up in what we would consider these days to be a slightly strange way of doing it. And that's he has it flat against the body. He has no up movement. Yeah. Even on a PRS trem like you've got there, and I've got the same on mine. Slightly raised. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, according to the PRS setup guide, that's how we set up your trem. And so there's enough giving it to yank the notes up and to float. So yeah. when you pull the bar up, you don't go, thunk, the body. Mine's actually got a recess. I haven't got a Floyd. It's remiss of me, really, doing Andy Van Halen without a Floyd Rose. <laughs> it's bullying, really, isn't it? Anyway, <laughs> it shouldn't be allowed. I've got a little recess so I can yank my trim backwards, which gives me a sort of good halfway house between a normal trim and a Floyd. Floyd. Yeah. But Andy Van Halen has his, his trim flat on the body. Mm. Which I would suggest is probably very good for tonal transfer, you know, for getting the resonance of the the guitar moving and getting the whole body and neck working together. It's got to be good. At the same time, it's going to take some getting used to, I would imagine. And it's probably, if you do set your guitar up like that because you want to try the Van Halen thing and you want to, you know, see how that pans out, it's going to take some getting used to if you're used to a floating trim. But he does all of that crazy trim stuff without a recess to yank his trim backwards. Nuts. Mm. But he also has a drop D tuner on his trim, which needs the trim to stay flat on the body so that the springs don't give yeah. and the D stays in tune when you pop the hit shop D tuner. Okay. Also, it means if he pops a string, things don't go out of tune. He can carry on going to the end of the song without needing to change his guitar. All valid reasons for having your trem set up that way also the recess for trems wasn't something that came along until later in the 80s you know you look at the early charvels and jacksons and that sort of thing yeah their floyd rose systems while capable of a massive range didn't have recesses for the trems until much later on yeah okay so the range was available so it's part of technology of the time as well i guess yeah i mean i guess when ibanez brought out the gem the Steve Vai model, that definitely featured a recess where he could yank the trem up. And it, at the time, which was, what, 1987, 88, that was considered quite a, a new idea. Yeah. You know, yeah, so cool. That would have shaped his tone. It would have shaped, you know, what Eddie Van Halen chose to do with the trem or not do. So with the trem arm, of course, we can add in little squeals with the harmonics. I don't know if you ever tried that. Yeah, I think so. I so think. we can pull off the G. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and catch a harmonic on the way back up, sir. Yeah, I have done that before, and you might need to... So harmonic. what I tend to do is dip the trem, and I, I pull off on the G string, just to create... And while it's dipped. Sort of as I'm dipping it down. So then, because to try and pluck it with your pick and then dip the trem is too much going on with, yeah. the, with the right hand. So I use my left hand, first finger, and round about the second fret, I'm yeah. just pulling off to create the note, and then catching the third fret on the way back up as a harmonic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you've definitely done that before. I'll play around with that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's what it's supposed to sound like. Okay. 
Looks just like to, one of those um, devices. Just <laughs> to prove that it can be done. Yeah. Although I can't put my guitar flat against my body because it's got a, a recess. Yeah. I have a bridge locking system which allows me to do no up movement. Oh, right. There you go. Down movement only. Yeah. I'm going to show you that it can be done, Eddie Van Halen style, as if my trem was flat against the body. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Goodness gracious, yeah. Noisy kit. Video at some stage, I think, of that. <laughs> I think we do need a video just to, to yeah. show you that it's not a fruit machine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. ZX Spectrum. <laughs> so sometimes when we have knowledge of the kit that's been used to do things, it maybe helps us understand the decisions that have been made. Yeah. And why things sound the way they do. Okay. And certainly with sort of Eddie Van Halen, you know, whereas I'm used to kind of maybe yanking a trim back. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, well, to give that kind of. Yeah. He's basically bringing it up to the zero point. Great. And then using the trim. And then using it. It's just amazing. And it's still, it's still it's a whole new world. Yeah. I mean, with most trims, even if they don't have a recess, there's a little bit of movement upwards. Yeah. But Eddie Van Halen's, they're bang on the guitar body. So, in summary, with rhythm, we've looked at really solely the Van Halen style. But, if you know, for those rockers out there, especially anybody born probably before 1977... There's. <laughs> That's when I was born. <laughs> born good. in '73, folks. I lived through the era of shred. I'm not embarrassed in the slightest. <laughs> I would have worn. I would have worn spandex if I wasn't fat. <laughs> spandex is great. There's nothing wrong with it. Too many plates of fish and chips <laughs> and a pair of good fitting black spandex. You will not have. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> not, not unless you want to look like the fat chavin leggings. <laughs> so. In summary, when you're thinking of playing a rock rhythm, there's a few things you can borrow from this. Open strings are good. Rather than chug on the same chord, try moving some of the chords underneath in the key. So although we were using a combination of power chords and other chords, you know, the power chords sound super chunky. If you're not letting chords ring for too long and you're basically doing one hit on a chord, you again or a muted, a muted sort of style like we were looking at. It doesn't matter if the chord's not a power chord. It's sometimes yeah. it's interesting actually to experiment with distortion and experiment with some of the fuller chords. Yeah. But in different ways. So, you know, Eddie Van Halen would mute notes as we looked at, and also the ability to open up that muting. So just in the same way that a drummer anticipates maybe the next part of the song, the cymbal hit, a roll around the kit or a slightly different groove. You can do the same by opening up your muting so that we can hear that you're getting louder, your guitar sound is getting fuller, we're anticipating something coming next. Yeah. It could be the solo, it could be the chorus, it could be a number of different things. 
Also, it means that you can tailor your guitar sound appropriate to the song. Yeah. And you've got somewhere to go, especially if you're maybe the only guitar player in a band and you, you want to create the drama. Once you're on 10, there's nowhere to go. So there's as much to be had from peeling it back as there is to going kind of going all out. So that's one thing. Putting fills in. Fills are good. Again, especially if you're the only instrumentalist, it adds a little bit of flair and a little bit of spice and interest to hear a few sort of additional fills. They don't have to be lead solo fills. They can be single notes. They could be an alternate kind of take on the rhythm. But it's just nice to hear something a little bit different. Yep. So that's good. Now, those fills can take on numerous different forms. We looked at some tapping fills. We looked at tapping one note while bending underneath it, which also is a very valid note. You can also tap out harmonics. So, for instance, if you're playing a note, if you tap 12 frets higher, so if you're playing the 5th fret on the G string, if you tap the 17th fret on the G string, you'll get a nice octave up harmonic. Yeah, okay. And if you think of where any of the harmonics are on the guitar, 2, 3, 4, 5, 7, 9, and 12 and duplicates octave up, you can tap that distance from a note. Some will be easier to pop out of the guitar than others. So five frets and seven frets and nine frets above the note. If you're playing a note, tap very quickly, very lightly. As if you're tapping the fret, not in between it. So you're banging the string against the fret and the note will pop out. So that's quite a cool thing to do as well. Also, dipping the trem, remember to use your left hand to pull off. G strings are good strings for this. Catching a harmonic, the third, the fourth, the fifth, whatever, on the way back up with the trem. That adds a nice little bit of sort of AC-style hair metal drama as well. I forgot to mention, and I, I will briefly mention it, Van Halen used to use sometimes what we call like a piano style where he would play sort of two or three notes using his thumb and fingers to, again, sort of add a different, more immediate sort of sound to the rhythm. So whereas if I play with a pick... So he might roll his volume back. So I'm cool. using my thumb on the bass strings and my first and second finger on the middle two strings yeah. or wherever I need to be in that chord. And that's, again, another quite interesting thing. So take these ideas, you, Gary, practice them, practice fly with them. them. Yeah. You'll find sometimes, even if, a, even if a guitar style, maybe to you seems, I'm not saying to you, I'm thinking the royal you. Of yeah. Even if a guitar style is is not your thing, even if a guitar style maybe seems out of date, yeah, or out of touch, you may not, you know, you may not want to feel the need to go out and and buy a luminescent, pointy headstock guitar with a Floyd Rose and two death buckers. <laughs> <laughs> And, sort of and get the spandex and some <laughs> cheetah coloured spandex trousers. Yeah, you you know, but sometimes we can borrow certain ideas like that pick, like that sort of um, thumb and fingers yeah. piano style we looked at a second ago. There, 
is something you can take in lots of styles. Work. Country, it would work really well, wouldn't it? It would. It'd yeah. work brilliantly. And even like the muting as well, even if you're a guy who plays blues and you use quite a light overdrive, yeah, you can still use similar ideas. Sometimes with a lighter overdrive, because whereas a distortion or high gain is trying to escape from the guitar and you are reining it in, yeah, a lighter overdrive is not quite as fierce. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah, a gotcha. kitten as opposed to a lion. And so sometimes you you have to adjust your muting so you're not muting quite as heavily, but you can still use that muting idea and still play with sensitivity, you know, play around with the dynamics, how hard and soft yeah. can I hit the string the angle of the sound. string, the angle of the pick, the, the way, you, way you're muting, all of those things. Absolutely, on the absolutely. Yeah. And just, you know, think of how to make your rhythm parts interesting. You know, if there's anything out there that's a blocky power chord number, can you do anything with arrange it to raise it, the bar? It, yeah, take it and arrange it a bit. That's Ooh, right. So spot on. Thanks, Dan. No worries. Absolute pleasure. Stay tuned for more episodes, jams, improvisation ideas and well-informed thoughts about amps, pedals and guitar tone. If you enjoy this podcast, leave us a review on iTunes, find us on SoundCloud or see our website on tunein-toneup.com. Here you'll find show notes, tabs and further research and resources. It's also a good place to get in touch. We hope you're finding these lessons as interesting and as useful as I do. And if you have any suggestions, we'd love to hear them. Yeah.